Buddha mentioned. Fern has to find her place and sit down to lay down. Sure, it's going to be right here. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Thank you for coming. Well, that's Fern. I'm Will. <laughs> I'm Emma. And this is uh, We Watch Dead People. Yep. I'm, I'm sure you knew that. You clicked on it. But if you don't know what it is... It's just a podcast where we watch and talk about horror movies. Yeah, once a week. Uh, I think the <clears throat> the historic premise is that I like them and Emma doesn't. But I do not like being scared. But you're coming around. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got some some ones I like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, I would say, this is brilliant. I smiled at my own brilliance with this segue. One of the... Christ. <laughs> One of the ways that you got into horror movies was watching these um, sort of more critically acclaimed ones that came out of A24, yep. like Hereditary, mm-hmm. and Midsommar. And Midsommar. The Witch. Um, that one's more you. I mean, I like, look, this episode isn't about that, but I, yeah. No, it's about a newer yeah, A24 newer. horror mm-hmm. movie that... Last two uh, years. Yeah. Well, it came out in... The U.S. in the spring of 2021. Yes, but it yeah. premiered at Toronto in 2019. 2019. So yeah. it's had a long arc, but it's uh, it's on Hulu. It's in your available in your home, uh, and it's quite good. Yeah, I mean, of course, we are we're talking about Saint Maud. Dear God, your presence graces the air, and soon everyone will see. Hi, you, Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Hey, I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? And they know what happened. All the good girls go to hell. Cause even got herself. I just want to see you loosen up. I've got more important things on my mind. Nothing worthwhile comes easily. You must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. I'm ready and open. I feel fuller of your love than ever before. I have a responsibility. Oh, yes, of course. This is life and death on another level. What if I'm getting it all wrong? All the good girls go to hell. Yeah, so Emma, why don't you talk a little about, just give us the rundown on the, the background of St. Maud. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's okay that I call it a 2019 film? 
if it technically mm. came out of film festivals in 2019, or should I say 2020? The awards that it won, I feel like it was the British Film Awards, but don't quote me on that. It was something British. It got nominated at the BAFTAs, I think, the British Academy of Film, you know, mm. whatever. It won. It won at the, the London British Film Critic Circle Awards. Yeah. And the British Independent Film Awards, and it got nominated for two at the British Academy Film Awards. Yeah, and, and, and that was 2020. Well, re- okay, regardless of the year, St. Maud is a film that is written and directed by Rose Glass in what is actually her feature film directorial debut mm-hmm. she did a she did only one other short film before directing this film and that was in 2014 i'll, so. I'll be honest up front i know nothing about rose glass well, beyond what she did with this movie these are the two those are her two completed projects i want to say that the short film is like room 55 okay but it might be room 52 i could just be misremembering but like this is her first Mm -hmm. on that um it's categorized as a psychological horror film which right off the bat if i had known that i think i would have known that i was gonna like this movie because i love getting my mind messed with yeah i think but i think it's kind of fun not knowing because the movie has a few um it, Twists. It, 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 yeah, I'm trying. At this point, we haven't said spoiler alert, which we'll do at some point. But I think it it takes you in a number of directions that it could really, um, in the end, go toward any one of them. So you don't know. Yeah. You don't know which way it's going to go, which is um, part of its part of its appeal, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. go ahead. What's, no, it, um, well, what's it about? So psychological horror film. It's starring um, Morphid. Clark, I hope mm-hmm. I'm saying her name right. Um, Morphid Clark as Maud. And Maud is a new yet incredibly devout Roman Catholic who works as like an in home hospice nurse. Okay. And so we follow Maud as she takes care of Amanda, who's a former dancer and choreographer dying of cancer. And as Maud becomes obsessed with the idea that God has told her, uh, to save Amanda's soul, we watch Maud, Maud's like own soul unravel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a yeah. It's uh, <laughs> and if that sounds grim, <clears throat> that's because it is. Oh my goodness! I think I think that it does have some pitch black comedy buried in there, but really, uh, yeah, there are a couple places that I think are. There's some comedy, but it okay. Most of it's early on, okay. Sort of with Maud, um, awkwardly handling situations with Society. Amanda. With Amanda, yeah. in particular, she doesn't quite know how to uh, behave around her, and mm-hmm. I think that occasionally has some comedy. But by the end, boy, and without spoiling anything again, the ending is about as bleak as they come. So such. Yeah. Such a good shot, the ending well, shot. We should, we should wait to talk about okay, that. But, okay. Uh, you know, I think just you people, brought it up. I know, I know. But people should just be aware that this is not is not going to leave you feeling too great, <laughs> probably when you're done. Um, but for a first time filmmaker, I mean, just really great. She's so confident mm-hmm. with the story. Well, she and, wrote it. I feel like that kind of. Well, I know, and the 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 
the writing of it is remarkable. I mean, <clears throat> it she holds ambiguity um, throughout, but never in a way that feels cheap, like she didn't know what to do, more in a way that um, she's aware that this story could be read in several ways. Either Maud is... Well, she's playing with the trope sort of like the other famous religious horror movie, The Exorcist, where Maud is possessed, but rather than being possessed by the devil, she's possessed by the will of God. Or or Maud is a psychologically traumatized person. Okay. And I will say that the movie does, I think, come down pretty definitively with one of them, but she does an effective Mm. job. Mm. I we can get into that, but she does an effective job towing the line for the eighty some minutes that this movie runs. Yeah, can I tell you? Can I bring like my nerd theater background into this for two seconds? Mm-hmm. What some of the themes that it really played on was? I um, was in a play twice called Agnes of God. Really good read. Would recommend it or see it if you can. But it's about a nun who has become pregnant and given birth and killed. That child, well, the baby's found dead in her room, and it deals with this Did idea. Did you just of, spoil the play? No, no, okay. no, because it, the ending leaves it very unclear. It's unclear through the whole play, but she's grappling, and the people around her are grappling with like, is she just incredibly divine, touched by God, like in a way that most people aren't, or is she? suffering some terrible trauma and the play leaves it ambiguous at the In, end yes so i think saint Maud makes it pretty clear at the end okay but <laughs> i disagree well we can again we can get into that but yeah i know <laughs> i like i said it's on hulu you can watch it now if you're so inclined if you have access to that or I think you could rent it on video on demand. I would definitely recommend it. Oh, highly recommend. It is very much, and you can tell me if you think I'm using the wrong words for this, but I would say it's very much like an ambiance movie. The whole movie is centered around Maud and truly just Maud. Like we never really leave Maud's side. No, and more for Clark, I think I can't think of a scene that she's not in. Exactly. She, she puts the whole movie on her back. So you're when you're watching it, you're going to get into Maud's world, but it's unsettling, and you're going to watch Maud be unsettled by that. And what I what I took note of really is like the soundtrack and composition of it lends so so well to this. Like eerie is the wrong word. It's like out of touch. It's removed from the general public is how I felt watching it mm-hmm. and what I felt like Maud was experiencing. So then when I looked up um, who did the music, it's actually, it's this guy's first um, time doing a feature film as well. And I'm totally going to botch his name, but it's um, Adam Bzowski. Bzowski. Seems close enough to Thank me. you. I mean, sorry, Adam. If you ever listen to this, I think you've done fantastic work and I don't mean to botch your name. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm at a hard, I'm having a hard time sort of, I know we're only about 10 minutes into the episode, but I'm having a hard time talking about the movie without getting into spoilers. So at this point, if you haven't already watched it um, and you're not 
I, I don't know. You should. Yeah, you should. And now your warning is here. We're going to start actually talking about some of the specifics of the movie. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think, I think that it seems pretty clear to me that Maud's trauma, which is alluded to in the opening scene and, yeah. then, and then never fully divulged, but teased out through future scenes in the movie, which mm-hmm. again, I think speaks to Rose Glass's skill as a writer that she never just sort of has an exposition jump, dump anywhere in the movie. No, she doesn't. Um, it all alludes to her being traumatized by this incident in her previous job as a nurse at a hospital. And in trying to cope with it, she has turned to piety and religious fanaticism and as you put it, her soul unravels, but in reality, it's her mind that's unraveling. And, <laughs> and, oh. and, and she, I mean, she feels that it's her soul briefly unravels, but then she actually thinks her soul is achieving salvation. Yeah. When in fact. You're getting way ahead of it, but I well, don't completely don't disagree to, with what you're I saying. What I want to get into happen. is that it does in the in the beginning it does allude kind of to her trauma. That first opening shot is her on the floor of some hospital kind of setting and she's wearing gloves and has blood and she looks up at the ceiling and sees like this beetle kind of creature which ends up be becoming kind of a reoccurring motif. Um which I took to mean like when she's kind of starting to lose it, when she kind of sees that that thing kind of yeah. crawling. I think she only sees it one or two other times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But think. the next time she sees it is in her apartment after she's been fired. Uh-huh. So it, it starts with this... <laughs> with this like something's gone wrong and then boom, we're kind of... She's now religious Mm -hmm. and has a new job doing hospice care Mm -hmm. and she what the first time we hear her speak she's in her head you know like she's not speaking out loud but she's praying and i was so struck by kind of how like casually she talks to god did you notice that at all i'm like not a religious person at all so well i definitely think that people who um, one of the th- one of the things that I admire about The Exorcist is that there's a way that people talk about God mm-hmm. um, that's not it's not unrealistic. It's that it's how people who are devout would actually talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas that movie has a very positive message in the end about <laughs> your about religious beliefs and faith, the word faith. Mm-hmm. Um, Saint Maud does not. No. And <laughs> so I would just if you're sensitive to that kind of subject matter, yeah, you know, maybe check your bag at the door. But I don't know. Um, I think it's really interesting cuz again like not particularly religious myself, wasn't raised in a religious household, but her first kind of conversation or I I guess it's technically prayer with God is doesn't she say like you know, thank you. I'm doing this work. I'm like ex- excited to start this new like part of my job, but I can't help but feel like you intend something bigger for me, which is such an interesting concept for me of of when religious people talk about um, a higher power, like having a great plan for them. It feels like very self indulgent to me. Well, I mean. I, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not yeah, trying would, to be offensive. I would agree with that. But, I mean, sure, she's definitely, I mean, 
it's it's all portrayed as narration. So we're I guess we're not totally sure how she's communicating, whether it is in prayer, but it's all it is very conversational with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't know. Again, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but she the conversation reminds me less of a prayer and more of somebody having a conversation with themselves or with an imaginary friend. She sort of needs somebody to lean on. And we see her yeah. we see her in pure isolation. Oh yeah. And so she lives alone in a very, very small apartment that is shot to like not quite feel constricting, but clinically clean. Like hospital almost well, it's a combo of that, but then there's also sort of like it feels like I'm. It's wearing out. You well, where what what is it called when you put someone in a, in a room and it's just them alone? Solitary confinement. It feels like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and in some ways, it could be read as one of a number of physical punishments that she's enacting upon herself. So, I mean, it's she she mm. she sort of is doing. I know that there's a word for this, and I can't remember. It's sort of like. She does everything but get out the cat of nine tails and whip herself. She's, I know. She, Is that the Da Vinci's Code? What well, movie am I thinking of? That's in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. yeah. But I, I know there's she a, does that. self-flagellation is what that's called. But I can't, I, I don't know if there's a broader term for it. But anyway. Of she's, when you hurt yourself like in the name of God to like yeah, show your. Yeah, yeah. I can't, yeah. I, there might be a word for that. I just, it's escaping my mind. But I mean, she like kneels on seeds and. Yeah, um, unpopped popcorn kernels. Yeah. And we don't see it like her actually inflicting it on herself, but we see her in just her underwear and she's clearly got like scars on her tummy, like below her belly button, but above her underwear line, like. So it is like a Mm self-harm thing. And, but I think that's sort of, again, some of the cleverness of the movie is that, is what she doing to herself religious piety or is it, mental illness and as the movie goes along rose glass i think rather pointedly shows that there really isn't much of a difference which again people may not uh take too kindly to if they're very religious but no but i I can't imagine there's anyone incredibly religious who's like down to watch a horror movie called saint maud or i mean who wouldn't be ready to be i know i'm just saying it's um but rose glass clearly has this opinion and I but but at the same time I don't think Maud is ever um portrayed in and maybe it's by virtue of that we're with her the whole movie but mm-hmm. she's not portrayed as villainous um no but she is out of place she's so out of place and it's uncomfortable well, out of place doesn't necessarily make you a villain no but so So she goes and she, this is the part I want to get to. She goes and she is taking care of um, this choreographer slash dancer, Amanda, who's American. Um, They're in Scotland? No, I believe they're in England. Okay, they're in England. The United Kingdom. Sorry, they're they're not in America, but the choreographer dancer is American. And she's dying of lymphomic cancer. Yeah, the spine, I think. Yeah, it sounds bad, but... She, she's clearly near the end of her run. Yeah, and Maud is taking care of her and doing like a very 
decent job, but where it starts off or the first direction (laughs) that I thought this movie was heading in was like a very dark lover's triangle take on Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It felt very sapphic to me. Okay. It as Maud is like kind of unable to socialize in a context that where she's not bringing up kind of her religion. She's trying to not talk about it or bring it up because she's work, I assume. But Amanda eventually like she's bending over Maud is and she sees her cross necklace and Amanda kind of points it out. And then Maud is like fully in on trying to save Amanda and it's done through prayer that feels very orgasmic in nature to me. Well, again, that's another thing that Rose Glass tees up as a possible read on Maud's behavior is that <clears throat> there's knowing glances, there's the brush of hands, and yeah, when she gets into religious ecstasy, I mean it is ecstasy. It is yes, it is orgasmic. She writhes on the ground and moans and um and Amanda, who is in uh, a relationship with another woman, who sort of, I think it's just... She like says a, they like mid on the internet, and Amanda's clearly paying her for sex. Yeah. That's, like, alluded to. Yeah, but but, but, but they're having a lesbian of- love affair, and, and Maud spies on it. And so a lot of Maud's behavior can be read as sexual frustration as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So now we've got three dynamics in play, which is her mental state, her religious uh, devotion and her sexuality, all of which are now sort of they're 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 rose glass is not um, at, at early on in the movie anyways hasn't tipped her hand as to what exactly is at play here. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I think that there's elements of all of them that can be true. Yeah. Can I ask you what you thought of Amanda kind of like when she realizes that Maude is religious and Maude's like, oh, I would I would love to save you. And Amanda kind of goes along with it for Mm -hmm. for a little bit. Why why do you think she goes? Why, in your opinion, do you think she goes along with it? Because I'm torn. Uh, Well, she confesses at the end of the movie. Amanda says why. She tells Maude that she did it out of boredom. That she's oh, she's afraid she is legitimately afraid of death, but um, which oh, is which she, is yeah which she is, does say dying is boring yeah but then uh, yeah and that but she she's afraid of death at the end of the movie she says dying is boring and her means of fulfilling that of, of alleviating that boredom is playing along with Maud's thing oh so it is kind of malicious I was just really torn because she ends up revealing like. Like well, Amanda throws a birthday party and while there. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No. I wouldn't say it's malicious, at least not initially, because there's sort of um there's a mutual respect. Amanda gives her that book yeah. of the religious art. It only it own the relationship only fractures when Maud, who wants to be close to Amanda, feels threat either for uh, the purposes of saving her soul, as she feels compelled to do, or mm-hmm. because of, for sexual reasons. Mm-hmm. But she is on the outside looking in at Amanda's relationship with that Carol. other woman. Carol is Carol, her yeah. And so Maud tells Carol to beat it, basically. Yeah, because, she's like, it's not good for her soul, whatever. Yeah, and then Carol, of course, tells Amanda. They reconcile. 
And then at Amanda's birthday party, as I think you were about to allude. Amanda reveals in front of all her guests as Maud's like brought out her cake that like Maud is kind of nuts. She's like, oh, like clearly within earshot and she's looking at Maud. So it's veiled as conversation to other people, but she's looking at Maud. It's a passive aggressive confrontation of what yeah. she said to Carol because at yeah. that point they hadn't acknowledged it. Yeah. Where she's like, yeah, Maud like tried to whatever. She's trying to save my soul. She tried to get Carol to leave me alone, whatever. I can't tell if she's just really actually concerned with saving my soul or if she's just jealous at which felt so mean to me well it felt really mean because i felt bad for maude but not too bad because it's clear that maude like can't read boundaries very well but and i think at this point the the not to be too rude but the idea that she probably has a screw loose has been established by the fact that she has mm-hmm. burnt her own hand on purpose and oh yeah there's, there's some other stuff at play that she's not well um no and her and her her intervening to get rid of carol also feels unnatural and like she's yeah. interjecting herself into Amanda's personal life. And again, you could read it in a multi- multitude of ways. Yeah. But, but then on the other hand, Amanda has given her this book of William Blake artwork, which is like deeply religious or all of his art kind of, ha- or a large majority of his art, I should say, has like religious symbolism in it. Mm-hmm. And she, Amanda like signs the book. She's like, to my savior, Maude, like, thank you so much, Amanda. Which is like, I don't know. Well, I guess I, I didn't was, fully pick up on the like, I was just bored aspect. That makes well, it even well, sadder. But what, but what was once sort of a playing along kind thing to say is then turned on Maude. Mm-hmm. as an insult yeah. and then she's further humiliated as everyone else in the party sort of dresses her up like a nun with a little napkin and they're all yeah. mocking her yeah and then amanda makes uh, a rude comment about basically the the frivolity of her religious beliefs and so mod gives her a smack across the face and is fired from yeah. her position yeah um and i think it's <clears throat> i think at this point we've already learned that Maud is not actually Maud. Her name is Katie, mm-hmm. and she has changed her name um, to sort of, again, further her distance herself from who she was before she devoted herself to Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And we find that out by her interaction with a former colleague, like on the street, who calls her Katie. Mm-hmm. And it's in this kind of like, what, what I do really enjoy Rose's glass, Rose Glasses, like, that she doesn't come right out and be like, here's exactly who Katie was and here's what happened. She gives us really good exposition without being direct by it, by that after Maud is fired, she has a lot of free time and she kind of decides or seems to attempt to go rejoin society and she gets dressed up and she, she goes tries, out she to- She tries her- to revert her back to her previous self, which is something she says sort of at the end of that sequence. Yeah. It's like, I almost fell back. Something to that effect. Yeah, I'm so weak. I almost fell back. But she like gets dressed up. She goes to a pub by herself. And it is like the most uncomfortable kind of... Scary is like the wrong... (laughs) Scary... It might be the scariest scene. Well, scary is almost the wrong word, but it it was kind of terrifying. It's It's painful to watch as she tries to like engage with... 
when she tries to like, other people yeah she tries to make friends with the people next to her but when i say make friends she just tries to smile and laugh at the same time yeah they're like all in it's four people at a table and they're all having a conversation and laughing and she just looks mm-hmm. over and kind of mimics them in this totally not human way do you know what i mean like it felt very aliens come to earth and then try to like mimic and morph into humans in order to like yeah. take over society kind and, of vibe and to she's me. trying to find a guy to hook up with and she just makes eye contact with this guy and he's sort of interested in her and then she goes and gives him a handy and then like walks away and he's put off by this as anyone would be yeah and then but then she bumps into another guy and they have sex but well, in they, the midst of yeah. doing so she envisions her killing him in the fashion that well that, that i just her nurse I, that her her time as a nurse yes. and those people died it felt very it was like all of a sudden she's like on top of him having sex with him and all of a sudden she gets a flashback to an ambiance that is very similar to the first shot we saw of her at a hospital and she's clearly trying to give cpr yeah to someone who is dead and so but, she and, but like, also very frail because then i think one of the and one of the where there's some overlap between her memory and the existing moment is she has her hands on the guy's chest and she imagines that she shatters his his chest cavity and basically which i think is sternum that's yeah, your yeah, sternum yeah, yeah. That which think, is where you're supposed to pump which i think we're led to believe is what happened actually a lot of people get their uh, sternum broken while well, when receiving cpr they can, tell you that can tell you that they probably don't get them broken as badly as what is shown no, in the it's, yeah it's super snapped but then she like freaks out she's clearly back in her trauma and then the guy rapes her yeah so and so she's just sort of further traumatized like it sort of is added to her trauma load from her nurse mm -hmm. nurse times and and he dismisses her by like revealing that she slept with his friend once years ago and he like knows her and knows that she's i think he says nuts yeah Uh, she was the nurse who would come to the bar and yeah it's it's implied that she was promiscuous and yeah um and he's humiliating her for that after they've had sex and he's after he's raped her yeah. yeah um so she she goes back to her apartment and has this sort of exaltation where she vomits and she Ugh. imagines herself levitating. Mm-hmm. Well, and the vomit at first, well, I, I guess thought we don't was... we don't know that she imagines herself to be levitating. Right, we but... see her levitating, but the the puke. I immediately upon watching, like I feel like when you just hear like, oh, she went back to her apartment and puked. Like she's wasted at this point, but it does not look like wasted puke. It very much exorcist vibe where it's all like, yeah, but right think, in but a big think, but, but as stream. A, but as a opposed to the exorcist thing where i think it's supposed well it's not to be, green well yeah it's not the pea soup and i don't think it's <laughs> supposed to be in the exorcist i mean i think it's just supposed to be kind of gross but in this i think she's supposed to feel as though she is relieving herself of that temptation that it's like a purification and mm-hmm. so she vomits everywhere and just goes, levitates go, again goes into this ec- ecstatic state mm-hmm. um and then the next morning when she wakes up, is this when she like cuts up all of uh, William, the William Blake artwork from the book that Amanda got her and like makes a honestly kind of cool collage on her, on her wall with her like altar. Yeah. Right. But, but she, she sort of is trying to learn more about what's going on with Amanda and she has spotted 
Amanda out with her new nurse. Mm -hmm. And so she sort of, um, I don't want to say confronts because it's not the right word. She sort of follows the nurse and makes friendly conversation with her while she's on her lunch break. And while the nurse is on her lunch break, basically to kind of try and figure out how Amanda's doing. But also to see about this nurse's relationship to Amanda. And when this woman is sort of like, well, she's not going to last long. That's the way the cookie crumbles, I think is literally what she says. Yeah. It infuriates Maude. Because Because she realizes she has such little time to save her. And actually, we forgot the best part of her like encountering that nurse, which is that the nails in the shoes... Oh, yeah, she's... She has them there. In her, like, most... And graphic's not the right word, but her, like, cruelest punishment to herself, she takes a picture card of, I want to say the Virgin Mary, but it could be I Jesus. So. I think it's the Virgin Mary. It's, Virgin it's Mary. some kind of religious figure on a card and sticks needles through it and puts those needles in her shoes. And we, you know, it's not... It's not some Cronenberg gore. Not, you don't like see visual, it go not, through yeah, her feet. You just see graphic. her slowly walking down the boardwalk of her town and it's just it's, like squish. It makes squish. a horrible sound. Horrible. horrible and she's sound. like wincing, but sometimes smiling a little bit. Like, yeah, she believes she is deserving of the punishment. Now, I think when she sees the nurse for the first time out on a walk with Amanda, this is, this is sort of where we're going to get toward. This, some stuff toward the end. Yeah. It's really clever. And I didn't see it the first. This was your first watch. This is yeah. my second watch. I did not see <laughs> this the first time. She is sort of walking along the this. I, I don't know exactly what you would call it. It's Wharf. like a stuff. Yeah. And there's like a stone walkway. And she walks past a man playing the violin. Mm-hmm. And she starts going under this overhang where there are pillars. And as she crosses. And she's crying she's upset as she crosses by one of the pillars you then see that the violinist is not there anymore oh really yeah so her the movie begins to establish that her perception of the world and of the events around her in big and small ways is not correct oh interesting i didn't see that when she's at the bar she and she's trying to get with people and whatnot she begins to imagine vortexes in the drinks and so she well that's a reoccurring image mm -hmm. of like uh it liquid going down drains you know how it kind of spirals that's happened we've had a few shots of that but it's always been like in a drain with like bloody water from one of her cuts or soapy water from washing Amanda. Like it's always been in the context of a drain spiraling down, but in the bar. And I've actually just pieced something together right now, live on the podcast. Oh my God. Which is that throughout the movie, it's always the vortex going down in the drink, in the drain. At the end of the movie, when she achieves full exaltation, Mm. which we'll get to in a minute, the vortex is suddenly in the sky going up. So her, oh, interesting. Yeah. Her, her hallucination has sort of inverted as she believes she's achieved her higher purpose at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which we will get to. Very interesting. I'm appreciating this movie more and more as we talk. <laughs> Anyways, so. It's like a good sandwich. The more you eat it, you can taste the notes. Yeah, exactly. Sure, <laughs> sure. Thanks. But, but Maude sort of after after uh, encountering Amanda's new nurse and then having a conversation with that former colleague from the hospital, she sort of comes to her conclusion as to what she needs to do. And so she makes a a makeshift 
robe out of her bed sheets. When she prays in front of the altar. Yeah. And, and hears a voice. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, you skipped, can't forget that. Yeah, the beetle returns. The beetle returns. She asks for a sign from God, and the beetle returns, speaking in a very deep Welsh voice, um, telling her that she knows what to do. She's known all along. Yeah. And this is, again, and I did tell you this while we watched yesterday, mm-hmm. another clue as to what is real and what is not, mm-hmm. because uh, Morford Clark, who plays Maud, is the voice of the beetle with her voice just pitched way down. Yeah. So it is, in fact, Maud's own voice that she is hearing, mm-hmm. um, which is a very clever and uh, maybe all too, maybe too subtle, but the kind of thing that... Yeah, you, you have like, to look up and be kind of, no offense, like a nerd yeah, to really no, piece that it. together. It's not it. like it's too, too obvious or it wasn't obvious to me at all. But it does get like beyond the idea of is this in her mind or is it God's divine plan? Like that set aside, it gets at the idea that I was rolling around in my head through the film, just through my own lens of like purpose of religion and i'm not trying to like offend anyone at all but as someone who's not particularly religious it is very interesting to see a character who's very very religious and devout and a lot of her motivation for god seems to come from what she wants to achieve personally right like at the beginning I don't know if I'm saying this clearly or articulating my thoughts but at the beginning when she's like I just feel like you have bigger plans for me that almost feels kind of selfish that it's like I don't know like I feel personally like I'm like one drop in the ocean and that's more or less okay with me um and then it being her own voice but her own voice telling her that she's always known what to do as if there's always been this like greatness inside of her that she just has to unleash like it it's just very interesting to me well and i think part of it stems from the fact that i i do believe maude says to amanda's new nurse that she thinks that being um a medical working in the medical field is one of the best things you can do with your life yeah and i think a she, high purpose i think she means it i and i think that her failure as a nurse mm-hmm. in the hospital has haunted her. And so as she sort of goes down this road of trauma, she has constructed this world around her where she can find purpose. Mm -hmm. And that comes through God, who is telling her what to do um, in her mind. I, I, you know, I... But it's really just her. Well, but yeah, exactly. But it's also a clever inversion because so many horror movies are about... Oh, God or the devil or something. It's about about the devil and people don't believe that he's there. And then in the end, they find out that he is. Yeah. And so this inversion is that we are with somebody who is so on the surface anyways, sure of the existence of God. Um, And the movie sort of unravels from there. It's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting flip of the script. Yeah. um, For a pretty tried and true sort of horror. It's almost its own subgenre. The like, yeah. The like religious. Yeah. Which I have to say, I'm also not religious, but the religious horror stuff always does bug me. There's something, and maybe it's because I was raised Catholic, but there's something about that <laughs> iconography and uh, and the sort of the guilt that's at the center of Catholicism, which, you know, again, might be something that draws Maude to it. Um, mm. It just gets under my skin. 
Like it just, it bugs you? Or it's yeah. difficult for you to watch? No, it, it's not difficult for me to watch. It just like, um, it does actually unnerve me in a way that a mm. lot of other stuff doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think it's probably just because I was raised Catholic in some respect. But I don't know. I don't know. There's something about that imagery that just bugs me. I don't know. It's, it's not... why it's one of the reasons that The Exorcist scares me so much. Just, <laughs> there's something about the, all that stuff that just creeps me it out. Gives you that. Well, yeah. yeah. I, for me, it's just this, this idea. What was so interesting was that, like, the flip of it not being about, like, the devil or demons or hell or any of that stuff that's, like, typically scary, but really that in this, like, search for the divine, she's unable to just, like, want or f- want things for herself or forgive herself for mistakes that she feels like she's made or has made in the past, right? Like, Oh, she has to continue to punish herself in increasingly extreme ways. I mean... And has to say, oh, there's this other, outer, more powerful thing than me saying that I have a true purpose. Yeah, which she sort of to draw the parallel to the exorcist she sort of follows to its conclusion as she sort of she gets on the road the makeshift robes takes oh. the rosary and she goes over to amanda's house at night and breaks in and confronts her in bed and there is a parallel that could you could see there between mm. what's happening there and mm. the final confrontation between father Karras and the other priest whose name i can't remember played by max von Sydow, and um, the little girl, Reagan? Reagan, that's right, in The Exorcist. You're welcome. <laughs> so I think that's sort of how Maud is seeing herself. That's so interesting. I did not see that parallel. Thank you for pointing it out because, oh yeah, sorry, go on. But then as Maud sort of says that she's there to, to, to save Amanda's soul, Amanda reveals that she was playing along out of boredom um, and that she says God's not real and then sort of abruptly becomes demonic her face like yeah and she's uh, in bed and jumps up which is exorcisty yeah and there's there's a struggle and she throws maude across the room like across the room into the mirror and maude springs up with some scissors and stabs amanda to death now again here's another thing that tips Hmm. off maude's standpoint the glass from the mirror that she got thrown into is no longer there after she has stabbed Amanda in the face. Why weren't you pointing this shit out while I was watching? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I like I did not believe when I watched it that Amanda was actually possessed by the devil because I really don't think the devil is anywhere in this movie. It's about God and it's about Maud. Mm-hmm. So that I wasn't like I was like, well, oh, God, she's God, God isn't even really in this movie. Yeah, either. I mean it's all just Maud. But I was just, I was very sure when I watched it, even not really noticing or taking account of the the glass not being there it just didn't feel like the turn that this movie was gonna take and if it did fully commit to that turn and amanda really was possessed by the devil i would have been like boo but at the beginning of our conversation this is what i was trying to get at which is that rose glass very cleverly for the purpose of making the viewer wonder about the plot of the movie especially if you come to the movie with religious horror a background in watching religious horror like the your expectations it makes you wonder about Mm -hmm. what you're seeing is it real Mm -hmm. what isn't but she lays very small breadcrumbs throughout to make it clear 
that this is not a supernatural movie. <sighs> it is a movie about a young woman who it's hallucinating. Is, is losing her mind. Oh, and it's not super and clear the hallucinations till the last shot, the, but I'll the, hold the, off because, oh my God. Well, I mean, we're almost there. Yeah, we, yeah, get there, get she, there. She, she stabs Amanda. She floats out of her house. Yep. Covered in blood and again. Hereditary-esque in, in that float. Sort of, yeah. But she's again, <laughs> you know, in, in ecstasy. Um, she wakes up in the morning and she envisions herself with these angel wings sort of in the style of the Edward Blake. William Blake. William Blake, excuse you me. You should know that's your name. It's true, it is. <laughs> William Blake paintings. and Where it's like, it's white wings, but they're outlined very much with light behind them, which William Blake plays a lot with light source in his paintings to yeah. show where God is. Yeah, and she... And it's coming from her. Yeah, yeah. She's glowing. Yeah. And she reassembles her robe outfit. Which does not clean. have any blood on she it. She gets new sheets. Oh, does she? Yeah. Okay. Because so that's what I was looking for. I was like, where She puts on a new outfit and she walks to the beach and... Holding a shopping bag. Which she settles on the beach and douses herself with acetone from the bag. And she, there are people around watching. She envisions them dropping to well, their knees. Well, we see them. We see them watching her. She then imagines them dropping to her knees as that vortex I alluded to before opens up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And she says in Welsh, which again, maybe maybe that's sort of how you could connect her to the, oh. to the beetle. Mm-hmm. She says, glory to God, and lights herself on fire. And, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, she's glowing, she's shimmering, she's on fire, but the fire is almost white and you can see her her wings and she looks peaceful and yeah and everyone is watching on their knees and then bam in the last second it's like a half second of her just in very vivid realistic detail screaming in pain while she is her skin is charred and she is on fire and the movie is over (laughs) like it goes from this clearly painting kind of depiction of what it's like to set yourself on fire for god to like the the reality that's actually happening and it is in that split second that it is all kind of it's all clear it's all clear at that point what just happened and i have to say i mean because in the middle, I, I was wishy-washy of like, maybe this, like, maybe the outcome of this movie is going to be that God and the devil are kind of one and he would torture her like this, whatever, whatever. But no, I think it's a pretty clear read that she's a mentally ill woman. And I think that. But even, it's not clear until that last second. And that's what I think is really good. Well, I think, yeah, if you're, if you're, I would agree. I think that going back and rewatching it, there's the breadcrumbs, which I appreciate. And it mm-hmm. makes it clear that it wasn't just sort of, well, I don't really know what to do. This is what I'm going to pick to do at the end. Rose Glass had that, mm-hmm. that thread is there. Mm-hmm. But her, the construction of the story is sophisticated enough that she's able to sort of tease these other directions. And you could call them red herrings, but I think that they're <laughs> just sort of like, it's the complexity of what all is happening to Maud. Yeah. But that ending is so incredible and so burned into my mind. It's visceral and it's half a second. It really is. It's, a, it's an I'm just inc- like, oh shit. But it's a remarkable feat how powerful that lands. And I think that even people who may find the movie too slow, 
it is only 80 minutes but it's a slow burn yeah we linger with Maud in her apartment and the and the score does an amazing job of just making you feel unsettled which I think makes it feel longer because it's just her yeah, but there I mean there are legions of people out there that don't like these a24 atmospheric horror movies and that's totally fine but I don't know how you could watch that last scene and not be um I don't want to say moved because that's not quite the right word, but not be impacted by it. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's one of the best endings to any movie, let alone horror movie that I've seen in recent memory. It no. just, it absolutely lands with a bang. And I great. agree. And I think it has to be talked about like the skill and almost kind of, I don't know if restraint is the right word of Rose Glass to not play that clip of the realistic version of Maud burning for longer do you know what i mean to be like people are gonna get it it's gonna have the impact because it's quick and you understand and you really just have one one second to be like oh shit and the movie's done like it doesn't go back to her being angelic it just cuts to black and then boom credits yeah i mean it just lays it out like with like a hammer yeah (laughs) but a hammer like again a hammer in half a second i feel like it's it's impressive it's i feel like a lot of first time directors and again she had a short film but they want to go they people want their work to be understood and that i think often leads to like over explanation and there's none of that there you're not left in the dark about anything you really don't have to be left in the dark about i mean some things could have more explanation but it is or like more exposition if they wanted, but... I think it would have dragged the movie down. In fact, when you were describing her encounter with her former colleague mm-hmm. from the hospital that happens in the you know quarter of the way into the movie, and yeah. it's revealed that her name's Katie and whatnot, so little exposition is in the movie that when this former co-worker says, you know, oh, does your new employer, um, does do they know what happened? And, she, and Maude sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That almost felt like too much exposition to me. But throw that into any other movie and it's nothing. I mean, yeah. but she does such a great job not doing that stuff and keeping it keeping it natural. I mean, you, you learn stuff about Maud carefully and at a measured pace and never in a way that feels... Um, never, that, never in a way that feels unnatural. It just all comes to you in a way that makes sense and conveys the information clearly keeps you as a captive audience member, but also doesn't mislead you or trick you in some way. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really tight balancing act, and mm-hmm. I'm impressed that she pulled it off, and pulled it off as well as she did. I mean, it's just, it's a, I, I, I already liked the movie, but actually talking about it over the last 50 or so minutes has made me like it um, exponentially more. I know, I would happily watch it again. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a really wonderful movie well wonderful (laughs) it's a very well done movie Mm -hmm. a very effective horror movie um and rose glass one to watch yeah should do more i I look forward to what she does next please and thank you yeah she's uh she's got skill behind the camera with the pen um all and and oh you're talking about that she wrote it as well and morphid clark who plays maude is also really good 
I'd yeah. be interested to know what other kind of register uh, she could hit as an actress. I know, but, but the, she's perfect for the role. The costuming aside, she just has this like long stringy hair that's always like right kind of in front of her face, like framing her face, like these creepy little curtains. Like, eh, eh. I don't, and she's frail and looks unwell. She's got sunken in eyes. It's just she. Mwah. She always. She looks like somebody who is always uncomfortable and lost, lost yeah. beyond measure. And and it just um, it suits the thematic elements of the story so well. Yeah, really, really well, really terrific stuff. So yeah, um, how many nail-filled shoes <laughs> would you give Saint Maud? Four and a half. I came in prepared to say four, um, but I will also give it four and a half. Oh, okay. Um, you don't have to copy me if you don't want. I no, already I, married you. I, like, it's fine. I had made up my mind to say four and a half before you said it. They all say that. But at the beginning of the episode, I thought it was going to be four. But I don't know. This is just... Um, well, I want to rewatch it again. And if I end up changing my mind, I'll let you know. Because yeah, but I, I, I mean... I'm not saying you would have the same experience as me. But this is ne- my, and I never will. I know. But this is my second watch, and I think it only got more fulfilling to watch. So we'll see what you think whenever we go back to it. Mm-hmm. You want to you wanna walk us out of this one? Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, following along. Let us know your thoughts about St. Maud after you've seen it because you should see it if you listen this far you should have seen it yeah i mean we're we're not your parents and we're not gonna scold you but you like you know listen if you let us spoil the end of this movie for you fuck you what are you doing oh my goodness well (laughs) no no i thought i was walking them out don't okay go ahead you're like you asked me to usher and then you're pushing them out the door saying fuck you i don't know i don't need a good cop bad cop keep the cops out of it okay okay Thank you for listening. Tell us what you thought on our social media at We Watch Dead People. We we love to interact and we love to discuss horror movies, clearly. Um, you know, if you could follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate us as well, it really helps and we appreciate it and it makes our hearts warm. It does. It makes mine grow three sizes. That's like Christmas. I'm the Grinch is what I'm trying to say. And it makes my heart grow. It makes me a better person when you follow us on on the podcast platform. So, what? I don't know. It's my sales pitch. Well, it's, okay. We're going to, okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening. (laughs) We're deteriorating. Just thank you for listening. Follow (laughs) us. Watch St. Maud most importantly. And we'll, um. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Diva was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world could. Joan of Arc with the Lord to guide her. She was a sister who really could. Isadora was the first bra burner. And you're glad she showed up. Oh, yeah. And when the country was falling apart, Betsy Ross got it all sold up. Compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Right on, on. on.